1: With Metro and the best deal in wireless, you can rule your day. Get two lines with 5G access included for just $35 a month per line, period. With taxes and regulatory fees included every month. All on America's largest 5G network at no extra charge. Metro by T-Mobile, empowering you to rule your day. Requires auto pay. First month is $40 per line for two lines. 5G access requires capable device. Coverage not available in some areas. See metrobytmobile.com or store for details.
2: Thanks for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to
0: date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe!
2: Hello everybody and welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. My name is Steven Jotter and- Da- Actually, not down in Dallas, but up in Minnesota, it's Jake Watroba. No or this week. Jake, uh, it is Championship Sunday in America. We got the Kansas City Chiefs, who will play the San Francisco 49ers in Super Bowl. And this is going to be our one-minute football chat. Who's winning Super Bowl?
3: Well, Stephen, first and foremost, it's a great day. Because as I look over my shoulder again... If you're hearing this uh, tomorrow or any time later on this week, as we are recording this live, the San Francisco 49ers are up. I think I just saw 34-7 over the Green Bay Packers, which is a fabulous score as a Vikings fan. Uh, The Chiefs. I'm taking Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. All right. Give me the Niners. Anyway, there
2: is our NFL chat on today's show. Chirchirito is coming to America. Adam Bells. From the Scuffed Podcast and Oliver Vies, who is President and GM of Orange County Soccer Club, all on today's show. It is packed. We are live at Uncle Sam Soccer Pod. Email us, if that's the only means of communication, Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast at gmail.com. Send in your thoughts. And today's question of the day, which we'll get here in a minute, does the signing of Chicharito rival David Beckham's? in 2007 as the most important in league history. So we'll get to that. just wanted to put the question of the day out there. And Jake, MLS seems to be moving rather quickly. It was only a week ago you, me, and Armand sat here with Joseph Lowry breaking down some of the MLS offseason. And, boy, in seven days, quite a bit has changed.
3: Well, yeah, Steven, first and foremost – Preseason camp has opened up for a lot of clubs uh, this past week, or if they haven't, they're going to open up this week, which is crazy for me to think about that we're only uh, a few short weeks away from MLS 2020, the 25th season in league history uh, about to start, which is crazy to me. You've had uh, some some crazy rumors uh, going around. You have SKC signing a uh, Polito out of Liga MX. Uh, Chicago Fire have been rumored to sign a couple of different, uh, a couple different players here with the, with the, uh, was it Burridge? Is that his name? Uh, the the video they use on Twitter where he's taking a shot of I don't even I know what the that. alcohol was. I love that. Doesn't it seem
2: like Chicago Fire are, are changing a little bit of what they're doing, or just even more generally speaking, MLS seems to realize that signings matter, and when you sign a player with some sort of weight. Behind his career, his his name, do something special about it. Fans love it. It's easy social media content.
3: Well, I I'm of the belief that anybody that's you you can say is a DP is easy social media content because let's be real. For the most part, unless it's and we'll get to this in a second here, unless it's Chicharito, unless it's Zlatan, unless it's Carlos Vela, David Beckham. Most of the time, we have no idea who these DPS are. We've none of us have seeing these guys no one's really watching these players on the weekend so you can say hey look at look at this dp we're signing he's at this bar taking shots isn't this great welcome to chicago fire it's 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 super easy to make that content it's super easy to say this guy's a dp and you can get fans excited you can get the media drawn up about it and and that's great for mls i think
2: oh absolutely and uh, MLS CBA update, if you just Google MLS CBA, hit the news button, you got a Yahoo Sports article from five days ago, positive movement between the players and the owners. So we'll see with the CBA preseason signings, but Jake, it has happened. Chicharito is coming to Major League Soccer. LA Galaxy have found their replacement for Zlatan Ibrahimovic in Javier Chicharito Hernandez. Uh, SI learned that L.A. will be paying Sevilla a transfer fee of $9.4 million, which is the same that Sevilla paid for West Ham. Or Sevilla paid West Ham for Chicharito last year. Chicharito's deal is a three-year guaranteed contract with a ton of incentives. Uh, Grant Wall was told that his guaranteed annual salary will be around $6 million. So while Chicharito's incentives may cause him to take home more money than any other MLS player, his guaranteed money will come just below Carlos Vela and Josie Altadore's $6.3 million. So Chicharito will make money here in MLS. Now, question is, what does this mean for the league? There's a lot of hype. There's a lot of excitement. But this is not... The first massive Mexican star, you had Carlos Vela already here in the same town. So let's get to this question of the day. Does the signing of Chicharito rival David Beckham's in 2007 as the most important in league history?
3: Well, Steven, let me tell you. I think it's close, but it's not on... The same level now, as I stated on TikTok earlier this weekend, make sure you follow us on there at Uncle Sam Soccer Pod. Chicharito, he is a rock star amongst Mexican soccer fans. If you follow El Tree, if you follow the Mexican national team, you know who Chicharito is. He is a legend. With the signing of Chicharito by the LA Galaxy. That should bring more attention to the league. That should bring more eyeballs to the league. And I think for MLS, a league in which we'll be dealing with a TV rights deal over the next couple of years, they're going to be negotiating with networks. Who wants to broadcast MLS? Is it you ESPN? Is it UNBC? Is it you maybe even CBS Sports Network, whoever you may be for a league? Fox, there you go. I forgot about Fox. For a league that has had uh, uh, TV ratings that are a bit down, if Chicharito can bring those numbers up, I think that is massive for the league, and that ultimately, I think that will be that 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 that'll help the trajectory of this league in terms of money spent. And I think there is an argument to be made that if all those things I just said play out, where you have a major boost in TV ratings, which will it mean a major boost in tv revenue you could argue and I'm not saying it is but you could argue that this signing is close if not on the same level as david beckham back in 2007 yeah it's it's mixed jake
2: it's yes and no i think david beckham was the first people are always going to be compared to david beckham and obviously what david beckham did on the field what he did for the league, how he grew the game internationally. Chicharito appeals to a different generation, a different fan base. It brings in that coveted Hispanic-Mexican audience that MLS continues to go after and has struggled to go after. Yes, you have Carlos Vela. Yes, you have Dos Santos. But Chicharito was arguably, for the first half of last decade, the most important North American player. Because he played, at the time, the biggest club in the world in Manchester United. He was phenomenal with Manchester United. He scored a lot of important goals uh, in the Premier League. 158 games. This is his in Premier League put together entirely. 53 goals, 16 assists. And then in the Bundesliga, Jake, he was pretty damn good too. 54 games, 28 goals, and 6 assists. Now, I don't think he's necessarily going to put the same pro- output, the same production as Ibrahimovic. Well, I think Ibrahimovic is just on a different level. However, this is much-watched football now. This is a much-watched team. Just like Ibrahimovic is, different audience, but this is much-watched. Much watched. I can't wait to watch Chicharito out there and play for the Galaxy. And hopefully the Galaxy can put a team together that will... Be successful on the field, just as much as much as they will be off the field.
3: Now, Stephen, I did very actually I did no research into what I'm about to say here next. Okay,
4: so oh, this no. is kind
3: of for this is kind of for bleeps and giggles. Okay, um, I stated to you this uh, last night. The LA Galaxy and LAFC will play each other later this May. On ABC, okay? That's network TV. That's, that's big boy uh, TV there for those who, uh, who don't know what AB, ABC is. And what did I tell you last night? I said El Trafico in May will be the most watched regular season MLS match of all time. You have Chicharito. You have Carlos Vela. You have these two teams that every time they get together, something crazy happens in the Galaxy and LAFC. You have
4: a—
2: But I don't think it's going to be the same. Here's why El Trafico was so sexy this past year. It's the fact that Ibrahimovic was a punk. Okay? He called out Carlos Vela. The the LAFC never beat the Galaxy, so you no longer have that. This is going to take a different— tune now Chicharito and Carlos Vela they're different characters within the Mexican national team one is more like than the other but the way they are perceived with Mexicans is is rather unique and hopefully this is something we can get more in depth later on into as, as the weeks come by but I just don't think it takes the same flavor this is this will absolutely I think get more of an audience, yes but it's not going to have the same hatred that you felt watching El Trafico this past year
3: not the first time around but there is this animosity by both sides against one another and I think that with Chicharito added to this drama if you will with LA Galaxy and LAFC you're going to add a completely new audience, a.k.a. the Mexican soccer fan that didn't give a damn about MLS. I think that this will, this will be a massive ratings boost. You have these two megastars for Mexico. You have Vela, you have Chicharito. I think that just makes for a compelling match. And hopefully, hopefully someone wants to play the villain a la Zlatan Ibrahimovic. And grabs that by the scruff of the neck and runs with it. I, 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 I really okay, do believe who's that this match play the villain role. It, it is so we'll, hard to play the villain role. We'll have to wait and see. But I really believe this match will be one of the yeah, most fine. watched I agree matches with that. of I MLS. Just,
2: I'm just saying, it's don't expect the same buzz. It's gonna be a different buzz. It might, it might be even a bigger buzz. That's fine. I'm just saying, you just felt. That the galaxy and LAFC didn't like each other. What's the intent? What is that going to be this time around? Will there be more respect for each other? Will it just be, "Hey, I respect you. We're competitors, but that's it." What's it? What is that intensity going to be? Anyway, here's Hercules
1: Gomez on the meaning of the signing. Sloton had a cultural significance, and everybody around the world, regardless of your nationality. No Zlatan. And Slatan. honestly, if we could say if it wasn't for Cristiano or Messi, many would have called probably the best on the planet, yeah. easily. Chicharito's not in that ballpark. But Chicharito here on this side of the hemisphere, here in this market in Los Angeles, blows Slatan out of the water. And, and listen to what I'm saying. The market here in California for Chicharito is greater Greater significance than any other player besides David Beckham. David Beckham, you throw him in anywhere, is David Beckham. And he's the most important signing in the history of the league. And he's the before and after. He's the parting of the waters. Mm-hmm. You can't convince me anything otherwise. There would be no... B-C-A-D. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Chicharito is this as close as this gets.
2: So there's Gomez on Extra Time Radio. Jake, do you agree with his assertion? It is hard for me to to compare David Beckham because god David Beckham was such a long time ago and I'll be honest it's kind of I, I was a little bit young at the a little time. before your time
3: a, a little, little bit before, before my time,
2: time. David, let's let's just put it out there but this is a significant signing Ibrahimovic Chicharito, different names one better player than the other but it it just has a different impact on this league
3: no you're right and like uh, Hercules Gomez said there, the Chicharito signing on this side of the hemisphere, a.k.a. the Western Hemisphere, on this continent, North America, is is massive compared to uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. He essentially says that the, the only signing that's bigger than a, a Javier Hernandez, a Chicharito, would be David Beckham. So I think that just puts... Puts into context just how big of a signing Chicharito is for MLS. Like I said, I, I I can't imagine how many more eyeballs, how much more attention is going to be drawn to this league now that Chicharito has decided to sign with the Galaxy. And I'm quite frankly excited as uh as an MLS fan. The only question I have, and and we've kind of hinted about this uh about with the LA Galaxy and the LAFC talk is. How was he going to fill in for uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic? And Hercules Gomez uh, also talks about how Chicharrito uh, can fill in for uh, Zlatan's shoes.
1: In a market where they're playing second fiddle. And this is a former Galaxy player that's telling you that they're playing second fiddle. Alejandro Moreno, former Galaxy striker, will tell you the same thing. I live in this city, I work downtown, centrally located. The guerrilla marketing theme that they've done. The be with LAFC, it's cool, it's tip, it's swag, it's a brand new thing. Look at the bells and whistle. look at our stadium, look at our players, look at our best player in the league. Mm-hmm. It's working. And there's been a divide. And slowly but surely, this LAFC team has taken over. The Galaxy needed this. They needed this on the field because who's going to replace the Zlatan goals? And they needed this off the field. Who's going to create that buzz? It's Chicharito. He's the most important signing for them, obviously. No question about it and he may be even more important in slots than slot and in a lot of factors
2: it'll be interesting to see how it works on the field it's something we'll actually explore more as a show in the coming weeks this is just let's look at it off the field what is the impact of this chicharito signing and listeners question of the day and let us let us know we, we've had multiple responses throughout the week today about this signing does the signing of Chicharito rival David Beckham's in 2007 as the most important in league history? Hercules Gomez on Extra Time Radio said so. Do you agree? It is very interesting. It's a back-and-forth debate. And quite frankly, Jake, it seems like if if Chicharito goes on and wins with the Galaxy, then it would be hard to argue no. But if he doesn't, it'll be an interesting hindsight Twenty Twenty game to play with the the DP signings of Ibrahimovic and Chicharito back to back, and and frankly this is excellent for MLS because you needed the Galaxy to be relevant, you needed a team to be competitive when you have LAFC running away with the <laughs> supporter shield last year.
3: Right, and like Herc said in that little uh, soundbite, the last one we just played. LAFC have really taken over that marketplace in LA and have really done a good job of converting Galaxy fans to uh, LAFC fans and have really got people excited about LAFC and it almost feels as though the Galaxy are playing second fiddle so so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out over the uh, coming weeks and months as MLS gets ready to kick off and speaking of kickoff we have an interview with adam bells of the scuff podcast that we want to kick off for you uh that we recorded earlier this week on wednesday january 15th we talk a little u.s men's national team with yeah. the hiring of brian mcbride we talk a little youth national team olympic soccer uh, olympic soccer we're super excited for you guys to hear that and we are going to play that for you actually right now so without further ado wait, adam wait, wait, Bell's. wait 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 wait,
2: wait. Just to let you know, listeners, we recorded this January 15th. Jake was on the phone, was in front of his mic. And we did talk about a couple of internationals, Jake, that did make their senior team debuts, respectively, this past weekend.
3: That's right. Uh, Indiana Vasilev, age 18, made his, uh, his, his club debut, his senior team, team debut for Aston Villa and also Gio Rainier, age 17. I believe he is younger than Christian Pulisic when he made his debut for Borussia Dortmund. Both of them made their debuts this weekend for their uh, senior club. So that's something that is just very exciting if you're a U.S. men's national team fan. I'm sure they should be making appearances with the senior team uh, maybe even as soon as March. So
2: yeah, here we go. Here's our chat with Adam Bells with the Scuff Podcast.
3: Joining us now on the show is the co host of the Scuff Podcast. It's Adam Bells. You can follow Adam on Twitter at Zlebmata. Adam. How are
4: you doing this afternoon? I'm pretty good. How are you guys doing?
2: Doing well and uh, before we get into the McBride youth coaching and the Olympics chat, uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on this January training camp. We've had rather mixed opinion here on our show. What's it like with with you?
4: I guess I'm happy to see some young players get a chance. It seems like a low stakes January camp. There's a there's not there's no reason not to experiment is my view on it. So I'm happy to see Juliana is there and uh like who else um Brian Kao, even really young really really young guy Mark McKenzie Justin Glad I mean it's a bunch of guys right who are not likely to be playing with the senior national team anytime soon so it's great to get them in the system get them learning about it and uh and maybe get them ready to to join the U23s you know yeah. for Olympic qualifying
2: yeah yeah so what excites you uh, what's one name that excites you most
4: Oh, well, Yanez, Yanez, of course. I mean, he's, uh, I think he's a super, a super exciting attacking winger. We don't have a lot of those, you know, with his his sort of creativity and sauce from wide. And, um, I know he's a ways out, you know, he's a ways out from probably being, uh, you know, playing in a world cup qualifier, but things can change fast in this game. Right. He can, uh, he could be, uh, he could be breaking in at Wolfsburg sometime soon. We, we don't know. And then all of a sudden he's, uh, you know, he's moves to the top of the to the top of the winger depth chart or near the top of it. So, it's good, I think, to to let him know he's part of the family, get him in, get him in, indoctrinated in uh, Berhalter ball, and get that get that process going.
3: Now, Adam, on the last show we talked about, uh, you know, the McBride hire as the U.S. Men's National Team GM, uh, we all had a lot of mixed opinions on that. But uh, earlier this week on Monday, we got some more answers with the Ernie Stewart and Brian McBride conference call. Now you were on that call, I believe. Uh, what was your initial impressions and takeaways from that?
4: Hi, my initial impression was that Ernie Stewart sees the job primarily as one of relationship building with clubs and, and then, uh, you know, like the rest of it, you know, uh, helping to foster a good culture in the men's national team and aligning the men's national team with the youth national teams, which is something that, is, that I think is, is very important. It's that all seemed a little bit fuzzier to me. And there wasn't uh, it wasn't compellingly expressed so much that I guess that's my opinion. Does that answer the question?
2: Well, I was of the notion, actually, I was reading into what uh, Craig Burley of ESPN FC said before the conference call, saying that McBride is a genuine guy. He's very respectable. He- he's good at communications. And I thought, okay, as a GM, you're going to need to be communicating to coaches, to players, to clubs. For for a while, there's been this assertion that the relationship between the federation and especially dual nationals is at at, at very best fractured. So I think he he could provide some some way forward for for dual nationals, but even just any American to establish a relationship that is good and well firm for the federation and players and clubs.
4: Yeah, no, that was another, that's a good point. That was another thing that stuck out to me in the conference call was McBride uh, said it's it's definitely part of the job description to to build relationships with dual nationals. Said it's a necessity. To, to build early relationships with the players and their parents, which is uh, you know, kind of a far cry from from Thomas Rongen claiming erroneously that, that he visited Jonathan Gonzalez's house in 2017. Right, right. So hopefully, hopefully we make we make some some real progress on that front. McBride sounds, you know, everybody likes McBride. I love McBride. He mm-hmm. seems like a genuine guy. He was a, he was a warrior at the nine, uh, you know, he played the way we want our players to play. And uh, I, I found myself agreeing with a lot of what he said as an ESPN a- analyst, too. So, uh, you know, I, I, I took him at his word, and I, I think that's, that's, an, that's an encouraging message to get from him.
3: One thing that everyone was curious about was McBride's power to hire and fire uh, the coach. And Ernie Stewart told reporters on the conference call on Monday, hiring and firing by one person is not something we want to govern within the organization. Brian will be responsible for that, and we'll obviously have discussions about that. Brian will lead that. If needed, we will act. Now, do you foresee McBride actually having the power to, uh to you know, make a call on Greg Burhalter's head, or does this hire? I mean, to me, it almost feels like McBride was hired as like a shield from Ernie Stewart and, and Jay Berhalter. Like, what are your, what are your takes like, on do, that? Do, do you think he's going to have any, say, let's say six months on the road, if he, he says, this isn't a good hire, we need to move on, do you think he's going to have uh, the power to make that move?
4: I think it's going to be neither one nor the other. You know, it's going it's to be complicated. Uh, I don't know. So there's two ways to take it. You know, is it, it, McBride is hired as a shield for Stewart. And I mean, maybe that's true to some extent. Uh, another way to look at it is, uh, you know, Cordero was hired, or was not hired. He was he was he was elected as president on a mandate of uh, of more of like consensus consensus building, decision by consensus. I, I, at least the way I read it, as a reaction to the Sunil Gulati years when Gulati was like, you know, he was essentially a dictator. Maybe maybe a benevolent dictator, but he was it was it was him and <laughs> and Flynn. Right. And he and Flynn, he and Flynn, making the decisions on their own. A classic example of this is, um, you know, they wanted to fire Yerin Quinsman, but uh, but Flynn, I forget Flynn's first name. I remember. Do you guys, do you guys have that off the top of your heads? Anyway, the former CEO Flynn, he uh, he had a he had to have heart surgery, and so he was out of commission. And as a result, they couldn't they, they didn't make the decision because it, it, it the whole thing rode on two guys, Gulati and Flynn, and um, and then they. They didn't fire uh, Klinsman. I think this was after, like, right before the Copa America or, or after the Copa America. And and then, of course, you know, things got worse with Klinsman in, in the beginning of of uh, World Cup qualifying in the last cycle, and then they had to fire him sort of at the 11th hour. And, you know, so that's, like, the classic example of two guys having too much power. And I think Cordero and, and probably all the, the people who have been hired since are operating under, you know, a, an intentional intentional idea of we're gonna we're gonna do things by consensus there isn't, isn't gonna all ride on one person and um and i think you know as an abstract idea that's a good thing that's my opinion at least it's it's better to have a system and uh and a structure for these kinds of decisions than it is to have it just be like one guy one, resting all on one guy's whims
2: yeah and it's uh his first name is dan Dan, Dan, that's right. Dan, yeah. there you go. So, but what what I find really interesting is what or what I really question is whether or not Greg Burhalter now with McBride, who was working in the media, had an ear more so to the public. Obviously, way more engaged with the public. Obviously, with the show on ESPN FC. I wonder if that puts a little more pressure on on Greg Burhalter. It will be one of those things that we just have to wait and see. Now, I want to move on. We all know of the Twitter reaction to the coaching vacancies within the youth ranks of U.S. soccer over the last several weeks. The Federation just did hire Gonzalo, and I'm going to butcher this. Cigars as the U15 boys' national team head coach, SBI Soccer reported that FC Cincinnati Director of Player Development, Larry Sunderland, has ex- was expected to be hired as the USU-17 national team coach, but according to Paul Tonario and Sam Skaseko of the Athletic, Sunderland had not spoken with the federation about the new job. Now, what was rather confusing is the fact that many multiple MLS teams have turned down requests by USSF to interview candidates for the Open Youth National Team position, and this is again in the piece written by Paul Tonario and Sam Skaseko. That includes D.C., United assistant coach Nolan Sheldon, who was a candidate for the open U twenty national team coach, that eventually went to former Colorado Rapids coach Anthony Hudson. But let me ask you, what, what's your impression with the hires in the youth, youth national team uh, setting?
4: I have to be honest, I don't, I, I don't really know that much about cigars. Uh, but I, I see the reaction is positive. It's positive among people I trust. Um, it's good to have, I think it's important and good to have a, uh, an Hispanic coach in the youth national team ranks and someone who, you know, who speaks, speaks Spanish as a first language. That's, uh, those all seem like positive things to me, but I don't know. you know, I don't know. I don't know if he's a good coach or not. That's sort of beyond me. Right, right, right. Um, the other, the, the other coach Anthony Hudson, who was hired to to be the U twenty coach a couple weeks ago? I guess he, you know, that's a the reaction to that among people I trust is was like overwhelmingly negative. He, as we all know, he he had a really rough time in Colorado. He called his he called his players a bottom level group in uh, some quotes like just a few days before he was sacked. He, it's hard to get excited about him. I guess the the only you know the bone I would throw to the federation on this is. It might be hard to hire people for these jobs, you know the the the, the Chicago requirement, you know, which gets so much discussion. The, the requirement that coaches live in Chicago is is probably an obstacle for some people. It certainly is for some. And um, and I, it's been reported that some people turned down using national team jobs. Eric Quill and your guys, in the neck of the woods, apparently turned down uh, an offer for one of the jobs. And um, and then there, it was reported by Tenorio in State School that that MLS franchises were not letting their assistant coaches uh, speak with USSF, which, you know, that's a bummer, but. So I I guess Hudson doesn't, Hudson doesn't seem like a great choice to me, but on the other hand, he wasn't the first choice. We know that now because of people's reporting. And I guess uh, I'm willing to, you know, give him a mulligan on that and we'll see how he does,
3: you know? You know, it, w- when talking about all these, all these rules and regulations to get one of these youth national team jobs, and then like, like you said, there's the Chicago requirement. Uh, I mean, you're 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 you're, in, you're you're a media member, but you're also a fan of this federation. What does that say to you that, like you just said, Anthony Hudson wasn't their first choice, and you you know, there's all these hurdles that the federation you know has to uh, go through just to you know get somebody to want to take the job, like relocating to Chicago. Uh, are you at all confident in this federation uh, going forward?
4: Well, first of all, I like Chicago. I think Chicago is a great city. It's fantastic. It is fun. It's a massive the, city, though. It's yeah, it's huge, and it is cold in the winter, but it's not as cold as where I live, Minneapolis. And um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I understand that people have families and they have lives. Their, you know, their partners have lives. Their kids have lives, and they're not just gonna. Move somewhere, uh, you know, for a job that might last one or two years. But uh, but I don't think Chicago is like this horrible place that you know nobody should be expected to live in. Just want to say that as a Midwesterner. Um, do I have confidence in the Federation for in what in what respect? In what respect?
3: I look at Anthony Hudson and and, and think, what is in his background that suggests he's a, a good development coach? You know what I mean? Like what what makes him qualified? Uh, to to manage the U twenties and, and and help cultivate the talent for the senior national team, and when you're you know left, I guess for lack of a better word, scraping the bottom of the barrel, I, I just think that fans when they when they read stuff like that or hear stuff like that shouldn't be very confident in, in this federation to to put a good product out on the field over the next uh, couple of years, especially as it relates to the 2022 World Cup.
4: Yeah, I mean uh, it's a it's a dumb cliche, but I think it's really true. It's all, you know, it's all going to be about results. And um, if Hudson can, you know, can do well in world cup qualifying and, you know, make a good showing at the, at the U20 world cup, all will be forgiven. I think he has, you know, he has, you couldn't make an argument that what he did with the New Zealand U20s back in, I think it was in 2015 was uh, you know, was worthy of, um, of some praise, I think on the other hand, you know, look at Rafa Wicky. I, I, I was pleased. He seemed like he was overqualified for the job. And a lot of us were pleased with the way he had the U-17s playing and qualifying last May. They they put some beautiful soccer. They, they dominated Mexico in the first half, even though they couldn't put the ball in the back of the net, and then they ended up losing in extra time. Um, so yeah, a lot of us were feeling really good about them. And then, you know, they totally, as we all know, they totally laid it. That team totally laid an egg at the World Cup they looked like they didn't even belong on the field for big portions of that tournament and so now wiki and now everybody says, well wiki's you know wiki was a bad hire i don't know it's like it, it, i think a lot of this stuff is a crapshoot i just hope i just hope hudson is you know is hungry to prove himself and i'm sure he is and that he's getting uh, you know that there's going to be some alignment between the system and the senior team and the senior with the, the system with the U20s And if you can execute that stuff and get some decent results, it's not the end of the world. You know, it's going to be fine.
2: Right. And what's interesting with the wiki hire from the Chicago fire perspective, somebody close to, I know to the situation said that he had offers in Europe. So it wasn't one of those things that he took Chicago fire out of a job out of necessity or if us soccer pushed him out or he had offers here in MLS, he had offers in Europe. So it, I thought he did reasonably well with the U seventeen national team, but I guess as you, as you mentioned, it's all about results, and and ultimately that's how we're going to judge Greg Burhalter If he's going to try to yeah. implement a very difficult system when he has limited time with his players and doesn't get the results, does it really matter that they play beautifully and lose three nothing? Or is it better to win ugly and move
4: and progress? I guess. Yeah, I mean that's a. Uh... That's an age old question, isn't it? I do, I do think if they, if we have, if Hudson has bad results and say our U 23s don't qualify for the Olympics, then, then you know, are Stuer going to come in, come under some really justified criticism because the, these vacancies have have been present for so long, and the you know they, Wiki was hired well, what like two months before World Cup qualifying, um, now Hudson is being hired six months before World Cup qualifying. Not giving these guys a lot of a lot of lead time. I don't know. I, I know I said earlier in the in the conversation that it, it may be difficult to hire people for these jobs, but on the other hand, how do you know? That's the job. That's Ernie Stewart's job. He's got to fill these positions, and he, I, it it doesn't feel like it's been a very efficient process. And and if the results suffer or continue to suffer, there's going to be um, you know good reason to to hold him accountable for that.
3: Now, Adam, you just mentioned the Olympics. Uh, I was listening to your show uh, a couple days ago, and uh, you, you guys were talking about, about Olympic qualifying and that whole thing. And, 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 and I believe you—you uh, uh, you were the co-host—essentially uh, stated, "Well, we don't know the rosters yet, so you don't want to, you know, really talk about prognostication, making predictions about Olympic qualifying." But I'm going to put you in the spot, and I, I'm going to ask you to make a prediction. Or at least give us a, a percentage chance that you would give the U.S. to qualify uh, for Tokyo later this summer.
4: Fifty-fifty. I don't know. I'm, I'm not super confident. It's we're in a tough group uh, with Mexico and and uh, wait, is it Mexico, Costa Rica, and the Dominican Republic? That sounds right. Is, yeah, yeah, it is. And um, so that's that's tough. Those are, there's definitely two losable games there, and um, and who knows what this roster is going to be? It's real. It's a real it's a real mess. It's really hard to, it's really hard to predict because, uh, you know, like Ulianis was, was allowed by Wolfsburg to come to January camp, despite the fact that, you know, Wolfsburg had a first team camp and, and their U, U19s are picking, picking up right at the beginning of February. That doesn't, that is often not the case, you know, clubs in Europe often do not release players outside of international windows. And, and so that, that eliminates a huge, huge part of the player pool so now we're looking at just mls u23s and um i don't know i don't know how i don't know how we're gonna do in that tournament i I wouldn't be surprised if we did well i wouldn't be surprised if we did poorly are you concerned that some players gonna jason Price gonna remain the coach do you guys know
2: no no idea i mean that's a good question i mean we might even have a a coaching carousel dilemma going on just before the Olympics, if they qualify, and I also wonder if some of the top young players want to play for the Olympic team.
4: Yeah, I mean, some of them do for sure, right? Uh, like, I mean, they, they they want to play in the Olympics. I, I know. Um, I mean, if I were if I were a twenty one year old with a chance to play at the, at the Summer Olympics for my my country, I'd want to do it. And um, I think I read that Pulisic Pulisic would like to do it if uh, if Chelsea allow him to. And if you, I mean, if you if you want to feel excited, you can look at like what a potential U twenty three lineup would look like, and it's a lot of our best players. You know, it's a lot of our best senior national team players would be uh, are eligible to play in the Olympics even without the age exception. So that's a so that's an exciting thing, right? Um,
2: well, what's interesting? The Washington Post just had a story by the Associated Press with the headline: "Young U.S. Men's Players Unsterned for Olympic Soccer – and we just we'll have to let you go after this last thought. But it opens up with the U.S. qualifiers for this year's Olympics men's soccer tournament. It might decide that Christian Pulisic is better off remaining with Chelsea than going to Tokyo. And I guess this has, this I don't know where this is coming from, but uh, I'm just curious to know as we build towards the end of uh, of the season for a lot of these European based players, the young ones, Sargents, Pulisic, Adams. Sardino Desk, whether or not they will want to play for the Olympic team, whether or not the clubs want to, or even the federation say, "Look, we got World Cup qualifying. We don't want you to get hurt."
4: Yeah, no, I mean that's a fair question. I think, uh, uh, I, and I kind of go back and forth on it. But Brian Sharetta, the I think he's been on your show, your guys' show before. He he argues the Olympics are are super important for for uh, for getting the country excited about the men's national team. And I, I think there's some merit to that perspective. Um, I w- I, is it so important that you risk somebody get, getting injured before uh, before World Cup qualifying? I don't know, man. That's above my pay grade. What do you guys think?
3: I, don't, I, I guess I would just like to see them qualify for the Olympics. I mean, how many Olympics have they missed uh, in what, the last two yeah. cycles? Yeah, I, I I think that if you're – if you want the senior national team to be a, a winning product, I think that has to start at the youth ranks. And I know there are some people who look at what happened in the, uh, in the U 17 world cup last year, I believe it was U 17 not U 20, whatever age group it was. There were some people who said, well, the winning doesn't really matter. You just want to make sure it's these, these kids are being developed. And, and to me, it's, you know, it's kind of a two-faced there. I think you need, you need to, yes, you need to develop, but you also need to teach these kids. How to win so when they're brought up to that senior national team uh you know they, they know how to win or what it takes to win or they face some adversity instead of well we we're we're being developed but we we when we get in these cup competitions we're out in the you know the group stages or whatever that may be we're not we don't know what it takes to to make a, a long run so that's that's kind of yeah. my, my take on that whole thing but yeah adam a tough question appreciate yeah, it's definitely a tough question. But we appreciate your time here today. Uh, we love the show. Keep up the good work. Same. with that. Uh, is there? Uh, thank you. We appreciate that. Is there? Uh, before we let you go, anything else you'd like to add? Anything else you'd like to plug away? The uh, the floor is yours.
4: No, I mean, I th- well, okay, yeah, I do have one thing to add. I think the big picture, despite all the the coaching carousels and the you know the the uncertainty in the federation, I still think the big picture is, and this is like sort of a driving motivation of our podcast, that there are. A lot more young, talented players than there were, you know, five years ago. And hey, you can even look at like you can even look at all the all the youngsters doing first team training in 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 winter camps just just this month. Chris Richards, Richie Lutzenmog, Gio Reyna, Nick T- Titegui, You know, there these are guys who we don't we're not necessarily counting on in the next few months breaking in. Any of them could, and probably more than one will. And um, that's that's just unlike that's unlike it's been for, for many, many years. And that's not to mention uh, you know, Tyler Adams, Christian Pulisic, at Weston McKenney, uh Josh Sargent, Tim Wea add throw Pax and Pomacall in there. These are Serginho Des. These are players all under 20, 21 or under, who are are the who are the core of the future and they're the core of the present too. You know, they're the best players on the team. And um that's a really positive thing. I think things are moving gradually in the right direction and whether we're hiring the right coaches at the right times is a is, a, is an issue and it needs to be discussed but it's not going to stop that overall positive momentum
2: Well we really appreciate it Adam love to have you back on and sometime soon especially I guess if we, if we do qualify for the Olympics or if something drastic happens who knows love to have you back on but listeners check out the Scuff podcast it's a wonderful listen and Adam thanks again Thanks, guys. Bye. All righty. There you got it. Your weekly dose of U.S. men's national team chat. There you had it with Adam Bells of the Scuff Podcast. And Jake, we're going to have to turn this around rather quickly because we got to get to our, our Oliver Vese interview. And that is also a good listen. But Jake, are these youngsters making their debut this past weekend? Do you feel like it's with the U.S. men's national team? It's on the up?
3: I don't know, Steven. It's hard to say because I feel as though a year ago – We thought that the national team was on the up with the likes of Josh Sargent, uh, Timothy Weah, I think you can go uh, and say Tyler Adams. I constantly feel like, at least for the last couple of years, we've looked at the U.S. men's national team or the U.S. men's youth national team and thought, hey, a couple of years, this should be a good thing. You have all these young players, this should be fun. You know, these guys should develop, and like like we said before the interview, you you know, Indiana Vasilev made his debut for Aston Villa earlier this weekend, as well as Gio Rania with uh, Borussia Dortmund. Both of those guys with Vasilev at 18 years old and Rania at 17 years old. It's easy to look at those two and and envision, wow, these these guys might be the next big thing. Gio Rania might be the next Christian Pulisic in terms of, Talent, or an, just 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 a a guy you can look at the U.S. men's national team and just plug him in and and, and think here yep, here's yep, here's yep. the guy for the next eight ten years you know and it's it's easy to envision that in your mind but youth development is weird man I mean you know who who knows three years from now Giorgenia could be a nobody he could be back in MLS you know you know who who knows that yeah that's
2: that's the thing look we can't. It's very easy to overhype these kids. And sometimes I sit there and say, just put the pause button. Like, this is good. They get playing time. But my goodness, by the time they turn 22, 23, the narrative can be completely shifted on some of these players. And who knows what's going to happen. But, Jake, let's get to Oliver Vese. He's the president and GM. Of Orange County Soccer Club and boy this was a fun interview. We talked about youth development. We talked about how Orange County is different than any of the other clubs in America. We talked about the Rangers partnership. It's a fun interview. We talk about business development, allowing players to play. You don't want to miss it. It's coming up right now.
3: Joining us now on the show is General Manager and President of Soccer Operations for Orange County SC. It's Oliver Vies. Oliver, how are you doing today?
0: Great, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, looking forward to our conversation.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as a fellow Swiss, I'm most excited. But Oliver, let's begin with your roots. You are born in Switzerland, where your soccer career began with FC Solartune. By 15, you were playing professional soccer for FC Solartune in the Swiss First Division. You had played more than 20 international games for the Swiss youth national team, including European Cup qualifiers. From personal experience... I know the Swiss have made great changes to youth development in the last couple of decades. But that said, what was your experience growing up as a soccer player?
0: Well, you know, growing up in Switzerland, I think there's a system that is clearly defined. You you play for your local team. Uh, you start with the youngest youth level, and your goal is to play for the first team. And you have that pathway that is fully lined out for you, and, and, and you follow And obviously if you have a great career from a smaller club, uh, you ultimately want to end up for one of the bigger clubs uh, in Switzerland and hopefully beyond. And if you get a chance to represent your national team, then that's even better. And I think uh, that being said, I had a very good education in Switzerland, very, very good coaches, was fortunate enough to be part of the youth national team system and got to play all around Europe. and, And I think that gave me a foundation uh, that I use even nowadays today, with obviously, as we discussed a little bit later, the pathway we want to create at Orange County Soccer Club and basically are doing it now um, on all fronts.
5: Now, Oliver, you just mentioned it, but how specifically did that experience, you know, with that use you, that you set up uh, impact you now, especially now that, you know, you're the president of soccer ops at Orange County SC?
0: Well, I think it, it gives me a good understanding how to develop players because I've gone through it myself as a player and then as a coach and and understand, you know, what is expected and how much it actually takes to build that. So I think that's definitely the foundation of my beliefs is what I learned in Europe and basically which stands for almost every you know country in Europe who develops players. And the one thing that was clearly stood out when I came to the United States in ninety four was the amount of talented youth players that were in the United States who simply did not have a pathway that what we had in Europe. And by able to create that, I think it's not a question of how good this country can be, but it's really how do we develop these players and give them the opportunity, especially at a younger age, to be part of a professional setup and maximize their potentials.
3: Now, Oliver, I want to I want to fast forward a little bit. Uh, you spent, or you rather, you've been in Southern California since you made the move uh, to the Los Angeles Salsa in 1994. You were the director of the West Coast FC Boys Program, a program in which saw a lot of success under your leadership, winning three U.S. Youth Soccer National Championships, and in addition, various league championships, league cups, and national and state cups. We hear all the time the talent that resides in uh, in Southern California and how good it is. Why do you think the talent there may be more, uh, more exceptional than other parts of the country?
0: Well, obviously, there's a lot of players playing first and foremost. Alone in uh, Cal South, we have over 200,000 registered players, and I'm sure there's a lot of unregistered players as well. And I think, you know, there's always been talent here. Obviously, we have 11 months of sunshine I think that kind of helps in uh, development and it was clearly that you know there's a lot of influence of Latin players I mean let's face it the borders right down the street right there's a lot of South Americans but also Europeans um, that live in Southern California and it's a it's a big big soccer market uh, that historically has produced some of the best players uh, in the United States but it's also kind of fallen off in the last few years And I think it's basically been due that youth soccer has turned to more into a business and actually into player development. And more importantly, specifically in Orange County, uh, there was never a professional team that really has seriously looked at developing these talented players. And the key to developing players is, I feel as it is anywhere else in the world, and we actually feel as an organization, is to get the most talented players into a professional environment, so that the most talented 15-, 16-, and 17-year-olds are not playing in their own age brackets and stagnate, but truly be challenged in a professional environment where they're trained by professional coaches every day and learn from other great professional players the trait of being a soccer player on and off the field.
2: Now, Oliver, you just alluded to some of the things that Orange County is doing to overcome those challenges, but how are you setting yourself apart from... LAFC, LA Galaxy, the other clubs across the country, whether that be MLS or USL?
0: Well, I think you have a a clear vision uh, as an organization. And I think, uh, as we always believed into the youth soccer market, it became very clear uh, when James Keston bought the team three and a half years ago and rebranded it, that he truly believed in the talented local soccer market and that we were going to develop these players through a professional team while still obviously competing for USL championships. I think the MLS is a different model, right? The MLS as a single at any league, it might not be as easy to develop players and sell them on when they're ready to be sold on. Um, and I think it's also more, it's clearly said that the MLS coach obviously is probably more touched on winning an MLS championships and probably developing young players that move on now in the usl again we control the player rights, so we can do business as every other club in the world and we want to win championships as well too but for our business model it's also very important to have an entire organization that starts with a technical director and a head coach that truly believe that while we want to win championships we're also developing young players and give these young players the opportunity to play if they deserve to play in a very, very competitive USL championship that will develop them for the next level.
5: Now, Oliver, the one thing that kind of caught my eye uh, when I was, uh, when obviously, this was earlier, or I guess last year, uh, when finding out about Orange County was when you guys, you know, signed those youth internationals uh, and, you know, them, you know, going from academies to uh, this USL team. How, How have you guys established those relationships with those youth players to ensure that, hey, like, you'll be given a chance to play develop and when you want to leave you know what we'll let you we'll let you go we won't hold you back how have you guys established those kinds of relationships uh in able to you know have those signings come through
0: well I think part of it is relationships and part of it is people are starting to watch and and look for these opportunities and I think uh we have actually done what we said we were going to do and we signed Aaron Savantes over two years ago when he was 15 years old And the first year he didn't play because he had to develop and grow, especially as a goalkeeper, is a very tough position for a young player to get in there. But last year he made 12 starts for us and he played really, really well and he was prepared accordingly because he was put in an environment to succeed and not to fail. We have a very, very good staff, obviously, as I said, you know, starting with our technical director, Franz Hoog, who's been uh, on the absolutely highest uh, level on the top clubs in the world and he developed many top players and in Braden Cloutier, who's a very good coach, but has also worked on the youth level, understands where these players are coming from, into a full system of assistant coaches and talent managers that work on a daily basis. And the fact that Aaron did so well and got himself through his games back into the youth national teams and was part of the team that went to the World Cup, I think it opened up the doors to these other young players that wanted to come be part of it, including Diego Lopez, who's a local player, that we actually wanted to sign at the same time, uh, we signed Aaron, but at that time the MLS route through Atlanta was more as, probably more established on paper. And then he realized that uh, he wanted to come back because his opportunities to play for the MLS team were probably small, where he realized if he comes here and he's being developed, uh, that he will have the opportunity to play for us and go on to the next level. And uh, so did with Brian Cayo, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more who has been now called up into the first U.S. national team camp for the senior team, which is an amazing tribute to the USL, and it's proof that our pathway works. And then obviously with an incredibly young talent in Francis Jacobs, who we sent as a 14-year-old, who is now making waves internationally. So I think that we want to be different, and we believe in these players, but these players also need to earn the right to play, just because they're young. That doesn't mean they're going to get playing, because it's, as I said, we have also a list of veteran players that have played on the absolutely highest level that are role models for these players, but very clearly we also want to win a championship. So finding the ideal balance between being competitive, competing for championships, but also develop players is the one uh, thing that we work on daily, and I think we we found a good good model that we are continually developing and, and, and put a put a quality uh, team on the field.
2: Now Oliver, let me ask you. About the business aspect, because here in America, across American sports, it's all about making the making as much money as you possibly can, whether it's the NBA, the NFL, MLB, NHL. Now, MLS is trying to do that, but there's a lot of criticism from foreign players saying that that model doesn't work. How's Orange County? balancing that when you, as you alluded to just now, developing youth, giving them opportunity, also competing for trophies. But then there's the business aspect of allowing these players to move on into bigger clubs.
0: Well, look, first and foremost, in the USL Championship, we don't want to be the MPs of a young, talented player. We just feel we can be a very important piece in development of of the player that hopefully will go on and play on the absolutely highest level here, and then represent our U.S. national team. You have to look at these young players, as anywhere else in the world, their assets, when we talk from a financial aspect, and how to develop these assets. So you got to have an environment where you continually develop these players, because signing talented players and then they never play doesn't do you any good either, right? And I think that's kind of what happened probably in the MLS because they have a lot of young, talented players, but it was very hard to integrate them, too, in an ever-evolving MLS level of play that makes it more difficult for these young players to play. And in the USL Championship, the level is evolving as well, too. But again, this is a model and an environment that we started uh, over three years ago, and we spent a lot of time and effort and financial resources into really building this one out. And we feel now we have that environment with a young player can compete, learn in a daily environment that is uh, top notch on every single aspect. And then uh, given the opportunity to play and move on, as I said, for us, the business models, we want to tap into a global transfer market that I think last year was over $5 billion. So I think it's hard to understand that the, US, the USA in general has some of the most young, talented players. Is not a bigger player in that market, right? But we believe by changing that a little bit and producing these own players and move them on and naturally not moving them on on a high transfer fee, as maybe some in the MLS, they're asking for high transfer fees, where we are more about, hey, let's find the right partner where we can move these players on for some kind of money, but not a massive transfer fee, but then keep future transfer rights, because as you guys know, Uh, In soccer, it's not the first transfer that is really the most lucrative. It's really the second and third transfer. And if we can be part of that and get something back for our investment, then I think this model will work.
3: So, Oliver, when you say being in in part of that second and third investment, are you referring to sell-on fees there? Is that something that you like to, you know, if if you're agreeing to uh, sell a player to a club, let's just say in Europe, when 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 you make that agreement, do you also have a clause written in there that says we're going to get 20% or 30% or whatever it may be of the, uh, of the sale?
0: Absolutely. Yes. And that's why it was so important for us to find the ideal international por- partner like Glasgow Rangers, who actually is all in there, where they're developing these players as well, too, because it's going to be a, a great sign if some of our young players can make the Glasgow Rangers team. But imagine If a player makes uh, the Glasgow Rangers teams and then from there moves on to even a bigger club and obviously Glasgow Rangers by itself is a massive club now that competes for trophies in in Europe and back in the Europa League. So I think you realize now if a player from there goes and we have secondary transfer or third transfers that then uh, these transfers become significant in amounts that that, uh, ultimately will offset and give big returns to our organization.
5: Now, you, you just talked about it. It's like you always have our, our questions in front of you, Oliver. Uh, you recently announced that partnership with Rangers. How did that all come together?
0: Well, I think for the last two or three years, we have been always looking for the uh, proper and the right international partner that truly believes in the talent market in Southern California, but that would be truly building a partnership that works for both sides, And it's the essence has to be soccer, right? Player development. And we have been approached by multiple clubs around the world. Uh, Some clubs that compete in the Champions League and some clubs that play in the Bundesliga who believe in these markets. But it was very clear from the moment where we stepped into the Glasgow Rangers uh, facilities and met with their ownership group and had the chance to see how Steven Gerrard works with his his group and how the academy is set up, uh, which is now one of the best academies in Europe, that we knew immediately this was one uh, of an ideal partner for us. And when they came over and analyzed what we have at Orange County Soccer Club and what we're doing, it was clear that this was a perfect match. So this came uh, over many, many years, but really when Rangers uh, came along, uh, it was clear that this was the club uh, that would be a, a, the ideal partner we had been looking for.
2: So let me just ask you a clarification question. Were you guys approached by other European clubs or were you guys actively seeking clubs? And then you had uh, time to analyze everything and you ultimately landed on Rangers.
0: It was a combination of both. Uh, obviously, as a European and, and having other Europeans in the organization, we've had some very good contacts with people who run organizations and, and we were kind of gauging their interest, But we also... What we have been doing, and obviously made it very clear uh, our intention. We've got actually some very good interest from European clubs that reached out to us directly, engaged our interest, and and I think that's the beauty and the growth of the of the USL and I think soccer in general. I mean, nowadays when you go to the international tournaments that are being played in in the United States, you see many many European teams and scouts that are looking for players because they. Still know that most of these players they can grab for free, right? which is uh, which wouldn't happen in Europe with obviously training compensation and then solidarity payments. So the European top clubs are very much engaged and have been for a while in the Europe in the American market. and so for us to have an official partner um, was was obviously definitely the right choice.
3: What would you say the ultimate goal uh, for the club is with this partnership? Uh, it looks like orange county has a number of players working with the uh working with rangers and, and their academy would you just say the ultimate goal here is just to you know get more exposure for your players over in europe and then maybe you can you can sell these guys on to to rangers or other european clubs
0: well it's it's going to be a very comprehensive partnership which is it starts obviously player movement so for your information yes we had uh, three of our most talented young internationals were over there during the holiday break and they played with their academy teams and did really well. And we'll continue to go over there with the hope obviously that one of the players will move there and continue his development pathway. But it's also for Rangers. They were actually sending us uh, top young talents that will be playing for us in the USL championship that are maybe not ready yet to play for their first team, but have already on first team contracts. So really from a player movement, it will go both ways because not only will we expose these players now from Rangers in the USL Championship to a different market, it would be the MLS or Mexico or South America, but it will really go both ways. And then from a coaching perspective, uh, we want to implement the Rangers methodology and the way they develop players into our structure as well too. And that will also include coaching exchanges where Rangers coaches will be working with our staff uh, with the goal to have one or two of them actually join us permanently for our staff to be over there, learn from Stephen Gerrard and his staff, how they do business and continue to grow and develop. And then our commercial aspects to it, where Rangers will bring the first team and do a preseason tour, play against us in Orange County and other teams, do international tournaments together, and really build out a partnership that is beneficial for both parties, as you know, Rangers have a massive following in North uh, America and Canada, and to kind of tap into that market by having some of the top players play for us, I think we'll also bring in a new audience to our games to really see the these talented players that have been developed in the Rangers structure and continue to develop 9 our structure and hopefully go back and play in the absolutely highest level.
5: For our listeners, the, the three players uh, that were with Rangers are Francis Jacobs, Aaron Cervantes, and Diego Lopez. Now, Oliver, with the, with, with the partnerships in uh, America, I mean, I used to cover FC Dallas. Uh, they had, the, obviously, that partnership with Bayern Munich, and I was a bit confused about what the partnership was to begin with, and then as I slowly talked to people in the club, I slowly understood what the, exactly the goal was. Can you explain the benefits that these type of partnerships actually offer clubs here in the United
0: States? Well, I think, to be honest with you, our partnership is unique. I don't know if there's another partnership uh, in the United States for the pro team of the European club, the way we have set it up. Because for us, first and foremost, as I said, the essence is is, uh, is soccer, is player development. Where even though I think uh, a lot of the other clubs, especially big clubs in Europe, say they want to do the same thing. But truly, it's also to just uh, to establish a better brand awareness for them in the American market. That's obviously uh, very, very big. Uh, we're not interested in wearing a European brand, the logo just in our jersey for the sake of saying that they can develop their brand. That will come, obviously, organically by our partnership. What we wanted to make sure is that we truly have a partner that it's all about developing soccer players from a young level to the first team and to an international partner. And it's a, that goes both ways. And I think uh, there's other partnerships with big clubs. And again, the MLS clubs, they have some partnerships, but then the player movement there is not as easy as it is with us. Uh, again, we control our players. Uh, we have a clear uh, vision of what we wanna accomplish, and we're gonna maximize that vision with the Rangers partnership, uh, but still keep our own identity uh, in Orange County where we wanna continue to develop our players along with them, but also find a bigger network of players that play in Southern California and potentially nationwide that should be coming to Orange County because they'll be given the opportunity to be fully developed in professional structure and hopefully go move on to the next level when when they're ready to go.
2: I have a question regarding just youth on a global scale. Is is America viewed as the top place to gather youth, or, or do the European clubs and go well? There's potential, but there's a lot of problems with the structure of youth development, pay to play, the expensive nature of it no better example is than the recent mls draft when you saw the player houses or the homes of, of the players and, and their parents they all made a lot of money these houses are big it seems like soccer is quote-unquote the rich man's sport
0: well i think it's not only that it's the rich man's sport and obviously it's uh it's uh it's expensive to play youth soccer with the travel and all there and there, I mean, look many youth clubs including what we had at West Coast Football Club. Uh, we had obviously big scholarship funds to develop these players. But I think he was always truly looked at when a player is as talented as a player in Europe. And obviously here, um, he 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 plays youth soccer and the goals go through high school and potentially go into college. And then at age 22, 23, he becomes a professional player. Where in Europe, the most talented players at a young age uh, 15 are developed in a professional structure. It's a completely different pathway. So, I still think American soccer, right, for the most of the players that are playing and they get a scholarship to go to college, to get an education through the youth clubs, that's that mission accomplished. But for the pro teams, we're looking for the top talents. And for them, that cannot be that pathway. Because as we discussed earlier, the most talented players at a much younger age need to be. Uh, developed onto the next level, and that that has to be done in a professional setting uh, on a daily basis. So absolutely, the European teams are looking at the United States as a big, big opportunity market for talented players to sign them as as Jeep because even within a country like Switzerland, if a 15-year-old player would move from one club to another club, There will be a significant transfer uh, transfer fee and a training compensation will be due. And that obviously doesn't exist yet in the United States. I know the MLS is now enforcing that, uh, but that will still take some time to get all that up and running. And most of the other players truly can leave for free. and, and, And that has to change because when a club develops a player, spends resources on players, they should be taken care of. And I can even tell you this. If we grab a player from a local youth club and end up moving this player on to the next level, we will actually give um, we'll get some financial resources back to that club because they've done their job. And if we work together, then I think uh, ultimately they will recommend the best talented players and, and have a much better uh, chance of finding the, the best players in the community and move them on together.
3: Now, Oliver, you recently said you hope to have Brian Kyle back this season but there is also international attention on the player Uh, can you give us an update on the current discussions going on with him
0: yeah absolutely look Brian Kyle goes without saying is 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 a very talented uh, young player that we felt uh, would do really well in our settings and we were fortunate enough to bring him into us for the reminder of last year uh, last year's uh, USL championship season and then he was called into. The world cup and he was obviously gone for the last month of it and good for him uh brian is obviously on the radar of many european teams and and so for us uh we are in current negotiations and and discussions uh with his agent to bring him back to us and to continue to play for us and then move him on to europe but it also goes without saying there's obviously a lot of European clubs who have been watching him closely and this is the beauty of the business but no matter of fact we gave Brian the first professional contract and, and he developed in our structure and, and and I think he prepared him for the World Cup where unfortunately he didn't play as many minutes as probably we all wanted to uh, but again he is now was called into the first national team and, and talking uh, actually uh, to the staff yesterday he's doing really really well so i think it's uh, it's just exciting times for a young talented american player um that hopefully will not only make a difference for us or for whatever the team he plays but ultimately for the u.s national team and and go on and do great things for us
5: oliver i want to shift to you know more of the player acquisition standpoint obviously we just sort a super draft conclude uh actually I think there's a couple more rounds uh this layer this week uh how quickly do you and you know, other USL clubs put out feelers on some of the guys who are selected uh you know in the draft to gauge their interest uh in making a move to your club you know if it doesn't work out for them or in MLS or if they end up being undrafted in that sort do you guys do you use the uh, super draft as a way to uh, acquire players yeah,
0: 100%. You know, we we look we are looking at all of these players. Our scouting system is obviously tracking these players. And you even look at it with Miguel Berry, who was the number seven pick, right, by Columbus. Miguel Berry uh, played, obviously, in San Diego. And he's played for our U23 team the last two seasons. So we're very, very familiar with him. Uh, he got drafted into the MLS, so good for him. But that's definitely, without saying, that's a player that we're very familiar with. And if he doesn't end up working out for him right from bat one in, in, in Columbus, which is a very good team. Of course, we'd be interested to have him and, and play for us and continue his development. But yes, I mean, a lot of these players nowadays who are being drafted. Um, it's fair to say that it's going to be difficult for the majority of them to step into an MLS team and have a significant impact. So we have very, very good relationships with most of the MLS teams. And they know when a player comes to us, that we're spending a lot of time and effort in developing the player and he ends up being a better player when he goes there. And historically we have worked very closely with, with the LA galaxy, LAFC Columbus, New York, and these players have come to us when they've gone back and played for the team, uh, did well. So I think, uh, it's about building a, a tradition and, uh, and the relationships with these MLS teams realize when they have young projects they want to develop, that Orange County Soccer Club is a club uh, these players truly develop and and get better.
5: Again, reading articles, you know, obviously talking about how USL players are undervalued assets in in the US soccer marketplace, and often in European leagues, you do see some of the players in the lower division get bought up by uh, clubs in the top flight. Why don't we see that as much in US soccer? I mean, we've seen the success stories with, like, a Mark Anthony K going from Louisville City uh, to LAFC. I mean, Ozzy Alonso back in the day coming up with the Sounders. Why? Why don't we see that often? More often between USL and MLS.
0: You know, I don't think there's really specific reason why. I think there's a lot of players that are available, and and I agree with you. Look, the difference between the top USL player and the fringe MLS player, I don't think there is much. I think it's sometimes, uh, you know, it's a coach's decision. Uh, again, in the MLS, you have a salary cap. Obviously, these players have to fit into it, and some of them have relationships. with so players are moving back and forth. But I think also the USL Championship uh, by itself is establishing itself as a as a as a very solid league that has a very high level of play. And there's a lot of players that enjoy playing in the USL Championship. For example, we have players in. Aiden Quinn and Kevin Alston, you know, that very easily could play in an MLS team or players like Michael Orozco that we were fortunate enough to get last year's or the player Thomas Enaboltson who played for Denmark in the 2010 uh, uh, World Cup. I mean, these are players who come to us, who enjoy the competition, enjoy playing in the USL Championship. So it's also sometimes some of these players are perfectly happy playing in here because they enjoy themselves. And so I think there's a combination of multiple reasons, but uh, fundamentally, are the USL players good enough to play in the MLS? Yes, 100%. And I think as we move on forward, there might be more and more of these players coming because I think the MLS should be looking at the USL for especially domestic talent, even some of the young international players that come out and play for clubs like us to, to looking at them because they're already playing in an American system. They understand the traveling, which is never easy, right? When you have to go to 34 and 34 games to 17 different, uh, you know, cities that some of them have high altitude, some of them, are, it's very hard. And I think so the player that's played in the USL and proven to be, uh, you know, a contributor, I think will also do really well in the MLS.
3: And Oliver, last question here before we let you go, you and your wife started a nonprofit organization called Soccer for Hope back in 1998. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Unfortunately, my soccer career came to an end uh, after I was diagnosed with severe aplastic anemia and I had a bone marrow transplant at City of Hope uh, Cancer Center in uh, Twardy. And it was very clear, uh, you know, as a former professional player, me and my wife wanted to give back to uh, the doctors who saved my life, but also wanted to make a difference. And so we founded Soccer for Hope and... Truly, 23 years later, right? We've been fortunate enough to raise uh, millions of dollars uh, to help uh, children's hospitals nationwide and really try to make a difference for families who unfortunately have to go on a journey um, and, and, and deal with children are being diagnosed with cancer. And we wanna be a difference maker there and be a support system for these people and help them financially. So. Anybody who wants to get involved with Soccer for Hope, we have a website, soccerforhope.org. Uh, we, uh, it's 100% volunteer. It's nonprofit, and we just want to make a difference in the community. So I appreciate you guys mentioning this because, obviously, uh, sometimes we forget in our competitive environment and professional game that it's all about winning or losing. But the reality is there's many uh, soccer families who are dealing with uh, with, with a much, much bigger challenge. And if we can give back and our organization is, is very supportive of it, our players are very supportive of it, then I think that's what we're probably going to be ultimately judged in, in in what we accomplished there.
2: Wow, very cool. Listeners, I encourage you to go donate if you have some extra cash lying around. And Oliver, Jake and Armand are going to hate me for asking you this question, but you are Swiss. Let me just get a one-minute take on Swiss the Swiss national team and your hopes with the European championships that are coming up.
0: Well, I think, as you can tell, Switzerland has done really, really well the last few years with the European Cups and qualifying. And and, and is Switzerland uh, obviously has some top-talented players. I think the majority of our top national team players are playing in the Bundesliga and in the Premier League. Uh, they're very schooled, uh, very disciplined. I think the Swiss coaching education and uh, the Swiss level is on on one of the absolutely highest standard. And uh, we have very high goals. Is it realistic for... Switzerland to go win the European Cup, uh, it's probably a little bit far-fetched, but I think it's realistic that there's no team who's going to play Switzerland, think they're just going to walk through them and, and destroy them, and that, that's very much there. So so I'm always hopeful that uh, Switzerland will obviously win MH a major trophy, uh, but I think the fact that uh, we're always representing ourselves really well, you know, uh, winning qualification groups and, and go on there, uh, hey, who knows? Uh, uh, obviously, as a Swiss... Uh, player and and as a swiss person i i, I hope we're going to go as far as we possibly can and if we get to be germany then that's always a, a very special uh feeling for for us
2: you know i don't have expectations to win it all but you know a deeper run not getting always knocked down in the round of 16 would be nice
0: i think that'd be beautiful and i think we are a neutral country so we we keep our <laughs> prediction uh <laughs> in, in our neutral system but uh, yeah absolutely i think uh this is probably one of our best ways teams will send to the European Cup and I'm excited to see how far they can go. Absolutely.
2: Well, Oliver, we appreciate the time. Listeners, check out what Orange County Soccer Club is doing in the USL and as well, if you have some extra cash lying around, donate for soccer for hope. Oliver, best of luck this upcoming year and hopefully we'll have you back on some point in the future.
0: Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. Truly enjoyed it. And I look forward uh, to uh, to working together in the future as well, to and accomplishing some of the goals we discussed today.
2: Great. Thank you. Well, there you have it, guys. A wrap to today's show. And, Jake, boy, was it a busy one. We talked a little bit about Chicharito, had some comments come in regarding whether or not he is a bigger signer than David Beckham or at least the – uh, on equal status. Some listeners agreed. Others haven't. Then we talked to Adam Bells of the Scuffed Podcast. Regarding the youth national team Olympics. Boy, was it busy. And then Oliver V's who who gave us great insight into what it's like. You know, commanding a, a, a club in America when you want to provide not only opportunity to youth. But also have a business and then being successful crazy crazy day for uh uncle sam soccer podcast
3: yeah i really like when oliver v was talking about adding that uh, sell-on clause with the uh with some of the players that they would sell on i thought that was i thought that was an interesting little uh tidbit he added to the interview that i'm not so sure a lot of gms or presidents of soccer operations would would uh let you in on so uh, that was a that was an, a nice little wrinkle, a nice little behind the uh, scenes that he added there for us uh, in the, in his little uh, interview there that we conducted with him. But that is it for today's show. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Unc Make sure you follow Stephen Jodaran at Stephen Jodaran and myself at Jake Watroba. We will be back next Sunday. 8 p.m. Central Time for another live installment of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. So make sure you look out for that. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, again, at Uncle Sam Soccer Pod. Send them in. We love to hear them. We love to get your feedback. If you have any questions that you'd like for us to answer, that would be awesome. Uh, until next Sunday, I'm Jake Retroba. He's Stephen Jodran, and this has been Uncle Sam. Sam Soccer Podcast bye